Welcome to another Lunch and Learn segment. We are so, so excited to be here today with Tommy Nahulu, who is an Indigenous Hawaiian um, artist who is going to share some amazing wisdom with us. I know you may not want me to say it that way, but <laughs> but it's true. It's true. So welcome. Thank you. I love being here. Great. Thank you. I'd love it if you just want to start by introducing yourself. Uh, sure. Um, Tommy Kawi Nahulu, um, proud to say my whole name out like that because uh, after all these years, it's become important to um, express who we are and where we're from. And I think my name does say a lot of that when used fully, completely. Anyway, yeah, um, from Hawaii, grew up in Hawaii. Um, and uh, through a long, strange trip, came to the mainland with my mother and my sisters Ended up in Denver and um, uh, pretty much around high school time. And that's when I found my love for art and pursued it. Uh, my job at the time was working in restaurants. And I think my years, I think 33 years altogether, um, I think helped develop me as a people person. So a lot of these things, you know, in my past really kind of put together who I am today. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, with the title Hawaiian Culture Sustainability Then and Now, um, that I'm going to be speaking from my heart and with uh, as true my words are going to be about as true as possible. And I'm going to be as um, honest with my share. Um, I'm not really a scholar in sustainability or even really Hawaiian culture. What I know is what I know and what I grew up with. Um, I want to be authentic uh, as possible and just share how I grew up and, and what I knew and what I know and how I feel about things and just kind of leave it at that. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. I'm so glad. Um, one thing I want to mention, um, we do have the topic of sustainability here. Um, I think based on our conversations previously, Tommy, that almost everything we talk about is going to be or is transferable to all indigenous, most indigenous cultures around the world. Um, so I think that it's going to be really fantastic. It's really not just about Hawaii, but it's it's things that are happening everywhere. And I think that's really going to be important for people to think about as we're talking. So what? how do you define sustainability? Um, well, um, I think sustainability to me, especially as Hawaiian, um, I think relates to a lot of indigenous people around the world. Um, I am personally seeing it in how um, the indigenous people of North America have conducted themselves. We are prideful and respectful and worship the land, um, all living things. Um, I see us uh, even in some situations praying before we hunt and, and, take our food from animals. Um, there's a lot of respect and um, spirituality in how we sustain ourselves um, in when we plant our food even. Um, but sustainability all the way through, um, there's so many connections indigenous wise. Uh, I feel like we all um, see water as life. Um, there's so much that water means to all of us. And I feel like today we've kind of lost track of how important um, that is and that we have become so accustomed to artificial, um, you know, juices and sodas and liquors and, and everything that um, health, good health uh, comes all the way back to water. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really true. Um, do you want to share a little bit about, um, like, kind of on thinking about the past, the um, Ahupua'a? Okay. Uh, yes, the Ahupua'a is a uh, system that the Hawaiians, before Captain Cook so pretty much discovered Hawaii, 
sustained themselves for hundreds of years. And uh, I would like to play a video now um, kind of explaining the Apua'a, the Ahupua'a system. Great. We'll try to get some audio here in a moment. Do you want to narrate since we don't have an audio right now? Um, so what they're saying until the audio comes in is that there are systems that start at the mountaintops where the rain uh, or the clouds gather and release their, the water that come down through the valleys. And one of the first places that the water stops at are these uh, plantations of where you can see taro, um, among other things. But taro was the predominant um, uh, thing that we cultivated. Um, it was full of nutrients and everything else. And then it came down into the ocean where there were uh, fish ponds. And fish ponds... So the water brought a lot of things down from the valley and the fish were attracted to it. And that was where we could catch our fish. Um, but the water was a huge part of uh, the Ahupua'a system and, um, and helped feed and, and nourish uh, everyone that lived in Hawaii. Um, it helped cultivate, it helped, pro um, it helped, you know, grow a lot of things out there. So this is about where in the video, they talk about the colonizers coming to Hawaii and bringing um, industrial, the industrial things and movement in, thinking that it was going to benefit Hawaiians. Here, sugarcane mill. Um, they thought that it would help uh, the people of Hawaii. And while it gave them jobs, it kind of depleted, not only did it deplete a lot of the, the rich land um, and pollute a lot of the water and air, um, but it took us, I feel like, a little farther away from our culture and what, uh, you know, the, the safety and health of the people uh, relied a lot on that Ahupua'a system. And the sugarcane and the pineapple may have helped, you know, some people, but I think um, we were realizing that it took us farther away. From our right. Culture. Yeah. Yeah. And um, is this this um, way of using the water is more of a natural way of using it where um, and and the um, is that that's kind of one of the points of the that way of using the land? Yeah, without a doubt. Ahupua. And um, <laughs> yeah, the Ahupua'a. Um, and it was something that I really related to. Um, in Standing Rock was their whole mini Wakoni and, and water is life really hit home and uh, made me feel like um, it really is the key element in having a safe and healthy society and community. And we connect, I really connected on that. And, and I liked being able to show up to support their cause in protecting what they believed was, uh, the the biggest part of their health um, was to protect their water from the oil that they were trying to bring through there. Tell us more about Standing Rock. You were there. You went in solidarity, right? Um, yeah. With the Native people there. Tell us about that. So um, uh, a friend of mine and I uh, just came up with this idea, hey, we got to go up to Standing Rock, see what's going on and see if we can um, show up and, and help support what they're what they're doing up there. Uh, I was against the use of this one pipeline that that um, threatened their water system in in Standing Rock for the Sioux, the Lakota. Um, so I showed up with this friend and I came across this Hawaiian uh, uh, little group. There were so many tribes. It was unbelievable to show up and serve. Uh, you either were on the line or you served and, and supported the people that went up on the line. I was in that capacity. And I found myself washing dishes 
um, this one time with a Buddhist monk. This is how many, how, how, how different the crowd was up there and how many different people from all kinds of different tribes were showing up to support uh, what was going on up there and, and the fight for the, the Sioux who inhabited that, that land and, and, you know, believed in their cause to protect their land and their, and their water. That's a really, really important point. It's a unifying effort, right? It's people who really realize how important this is. It wasn't just an issue for the people who live there. It's an issue yeah. for all of us, frankly, yeah. right? It was. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Do you want to tell us anything about the picture? Um, so this is the Hawaiian encampment. I met a, I met a Kanaka there, a, a native Hawaiian um, named Mike up there. And uh he had been there when um, our Kupuna Pua case showed up and did this beautiful um, uh, ceremony uh, offering uh, the aloha of the Hawaiian people and our support for uh, their cause in protecting their land and their water. And it was a beautiful ceremony that I ended up watching on YouTube. And um, it was great to still to come up and still see that the Hawaiian encampment was up there. The flags are an original Hawaiian flag, the top one with the yellow, red, and green. And the bottom one is the traditional Hawaiian flag that Kamehameha III made an official state flag. Um, and them being upside down is a sign of um, distress. Oh, wow. That's great. That's a really important photo. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I know that your sister has a farm and that they are doing a lot of things right now around sustainability as well. And then maybe that ties more into the current situation with sustainability. Yeah. So um, times have changed. The world has changed. Technology has changed things. Uh, but there is still a lot of Hawaiians, uh, including my family, who feel that uh, going back to those simple systems um, are all we really need. And so I spent a lot of time on my sister's uh, farm on Molokai, and uh, they have everything that the Hawaiians had before Captain Cook showed up, um, uh, or possibly. So they're growing taro. This is their um, taro patch. In Hawaii, we call it kalo. Um, this is their taro patch, dryland taro. And um, they have a lot of it. They eat a lot of it. And um, that is today how a lot of Hawaiians sustain themselves. They are able to farm their own taro, not need to go into shopping, you know, into shopping markets and buy their taro. But they're growing their own things. And my sister's doing a lot of that. She's growing her own papaya, yeah. bananas like this. Um, they're doing everything. They live off the grid um, in modern time now, um, electricity is very handy. They have laptops. My sister's a school teacher, has been for years. Uh, her husband is a retired fire captain. So there's a lot of need for electricity, but they have sustained themselves with solar and wind. They have a little turbine, wind turbine and solar panels and have been very successful in sustaining themselves that way. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You know, you... You mentioned a couple of times um, Columbus and um, I know Captain Cook is also credited for discovering Hawaii. Yeah. Um, you know, as you and I have talked, I've had some epiphanies around these these issues. Um, and certainly in the last, you know, 10 years or so, I've been aware of the, you know, the, the pushback against Columbus, to, you know, discovering America because because all these indigenous people were here and in Hawaii prior to those times. Um, one thing that I think is really important is that is that's one of the reasons that the indigenous cultures have not get, been given you know the recognition they deserve um, because even the curriculums in our government U.S. government schools teaches that Columbus discovered America, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's um it's something that I think is really important to bring out you know bring to the awareness of people. Um, so do you want to speak a little bit about that? I know you told me earlier about um, they thought Captain Cook was a god because of the mast on the, sh on the sailing vessel. Yeah, uh, we have these um, 
uh, I can't think of the name right now, but they 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 look like masts. Uh, they're a, a top of cloth hung from a, a beam and they kind of represented um, the higher powers, um, the gods and and all. And when he came sailing with ships, the masts kind of looked like them. And a lot of them thought that they were sent to Hawaii to uh, take care of people and, and to help lead people when they were, you know, they were kind of wrong. And, you know, part of me is is uh, supporting um, the educational system only because it does take a certain amount of knowledge to exist and to um, uh, to get by and 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 just to just knowledge really helps us move ahead and 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 uh, and help support you know save ourselves from things that aren't aren't great so um, yeah so I'm not you know. There's a lot of things we learn in lessons that um, that hopefully will turn right, and and that's why um, you know even I learned that supposedly Captain Cook discovered Hawaii when Hawaiians were there hundreds of years before that. Same with Captain with Columbus. You know the um, the Wampanoag tribe was here long before he met them at the shore. Um, it's funny how we learn that Columbus supposedly discovered America. And those are some of the things that I think we relate to as indigenous peoples is that we get um, caught up in this new way of seeing um, the world when it really wasn't true, when it really never happened. And now today we're starting to embrace uh, the reality that really exists and the truth. Um, of the way things are today. And I think it's important for the world to understand that indigenous people are now beginning to stand up for who they are and um, regain their place on the planet. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so important. Um, I, I kind of feel like this is a lesson for us where um, everyone, each individual, it would be good if we all made our own decisions about our, our own, you know, choices but our own decisions about what's really happening i think that the authority figures that are worldwide and i guess i'm thinking more of governments because that's what we're talking about now um you know there, there's an agenda there and there's corporate agendas as you know and so these there are a lot of situations where people need to be aware of the agenda so that we can as you said learn the actual truth underneath it um you know, so that we can actually address those things and, and make decisions in our own lives um, that are better. Um, and your sister's farm, I think, sounds like an example of that, them living off grid, but also growing foods that are more indigenous, right? That were actually there prior to um, outside sources bringing in pineapple and um, some of the things that are not native. Yeah, I, I think... Um... A lot of what connects us and keeps us healthy is our connection to our culture and our heritage. And um, Hawaiians have embraced their sense of sustainability through the food we eat, the language we speak. Um, this is a shirt from a, a, a language school on Molokai. My brother-in-law actually made this shirt. But the language is coming back. Um, King Kalakaua kept hula alive. So the Merry Monarch Festival um, that goes on annually is something that uh, Hawaiians pride themselves with keeping um, a hold on our culture with. We've got hula, we've got language, we've got our food, um, and we are finding that the simpler times, the simpler ways of sustainability are really what we need to get back to. I love the value of simplicity. I love yeah. that. Uh, there's yeah. a quote by Leonardo da Vinci that says, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Yeah. You know, it really is. Um, that's great. So um, let's shift gears a little bit or rather trans to kind of talk a little bit more about schools. Um, I know that there, um, you know what, before we even dive into that, I'd love to hear about your father, Eli, and his role in planting the koa trees. I know that's tied to the schools. Can you share some of that information? Yeah. So my father is a longtime 
um, worked for Kamehameha Schools, which was put together by our uh, Princess Bishop, Bernice Bishop. And um, she established a school that was going to um, uh, was going to educate Hawaiians. Um, and my father ended up a teacher at these schools and then an administrator and um, was um, was used to help bring natives uh, to be to, to schools and and to um, and to give them the wisdom that they needed to conduct their lives and 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 pass on to their kids. Um, what he ended up doing was becoming the director of a parcel of land on the Big Island. And um, there was, I believe, 3,300 acres that was a ranch. And I think 1,800 acres of that he was given to reforest with COA. So he spent years and years taking students and teachers and administration uh, from Kamehameha schools up there to reforest that by planting. Uh, there's a, about a 15 minute video of him that Kamehameha schools uh, produced um, with my father in it that uh, that shows exactly kind of how that went down and, and the importance of being able to come back to the forest, um, especially because it was the colonizers that brought a lot of things. Some of the things worked, but too much of it didn't, and and the cattle kind of took away a lot of the land that was very sacred and precious to Hawaiians. Yes, I know that's the case in Panama as well, and I'm sure many other places around the world where um, ranches, if the ranches can be t turned into sustainable areas like with reforestation or nature preserve, that could make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and your father planted, do you have any idea how many trees was he... <laughs> responsible for the koa trees how many hundreds of thousands of trees were planted up there i'd i'd go into possibly a minute it, it, it's been years and many trips um and each trip you know hundreds um so yeah he pretty much reforested um 1800 acres up there over those years wow yeah that's really great yeah He's gained a lot of respect from um, a lot of students and teachers uh, along the way, and um, they appreciate his wisdom and his knowledge of not only our culture and our past and how much it makes sense today to reforest and to bring nature and the aina, the land, back to Hawaiians. Is he still with us today? He is. He is. I talk to him and Zoom with him and my sisters every weekend. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so share a little bit more about the schools themselves. I know that they were founded by Princess Bernice Bishop, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and that it's really for all indigenous students, children yeah. to be able to have an education. Um, yeah. and, it's in, in, and it's run by a trust and really in per perpetuity. Right. So that's sounds like a really incredible thing for Native Hawaiians. Yeah. Um, my father, you know, from an early age um, was always uh, <clears throat> thinking of the future. And to him, ch children were the future. Uh, and for Hawaii, Hawaiian children were the future. And I always admired him about his passion and his follow through with that in that he became a teacher even in the summers, I remember going camping with a select group of boys uh, from schools that, you know, rather than have them get in trouble, he would take them camping and he would um, teach them um, culture and, and the way of our ancestors um, to, you know, becoming healthy uh, adults and, and, you know, taking care of each other, taking care of Hawaii. Uh, serving the the ways of um, Hawaiians who, again, respected all living things and and the ground below them, and and uh, they took care of their land uh, because he knew that the land took care of them, and he wanted to perpetuate that with the youth in Hawaii, and and teach them about land stewardship as well. Yeah. Um, 
I understand that this, the Kamehameha schools that we're talking about, and we'll put a video um, for people who watch this uh, later. The, let's put both the video of the schools and also the 15 minute video about your father and the reforestation of the Koa trees. We'll put those videos in the links. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that this schools, this whole school system is actually responsible for the stewardship of 367,000 acres. And that's incredible. It's um, one of the background videos I watched said it was the largest landowner in Hawaii, which means there are a lot of people doing what your father is doing, um, committing to stewarding the land. And um, that's that's just a really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, personally, I would love to see indigenous peoples around the planet kind of um, embrace that idea and concept in uh, embracing our culture and finding all the gems in our culture that can help us today. Um, and and uh, Kamehameha Schools has done that uh, uh, for a lot of us, uh, most of my family. Um, but I think not only through the school, but educators everywhere um, at, at different levels and different degrees are finding it really important to um, sustain ourselves through knowledge. And I think uh, educators like my father, many of them I've, I've met on Maui over the last decade, um, are doing the right thing in leading uh, our future, our children, um, into the really um, beneficial aspects of our culture and bringing it back um, to sustain ourselves today and not depend on uh, commercialism and and um, the things in in the world and society today that pretty much uh, poison cultures. Um, um, I don't, you know, it, it. Everyone has their opinion, but I I don't like in you know. I, there's a degree where I I just am against the way alcohol kind of came in. And I saw my father really kind of embrace the idea that rather than have, you know, our kids end up drunks, you know, hanging out in, in city alleys and on the streets, um, provide them with the knowledge to, uh, to figure out their way and navigate through the world and, and help, you know, give themselves what uh, the skills they need to, uh, have good lives and, and work and um, at the same time um, strengthen their community by helping them, serving each other. Um, there's a lot of that in my family, and I think a lot of it is connected to our culture. Um, I see other cultures, other indigenous populations um, embracing that as well, um, taking a hold of uh, the education um uh, the educational opportunities and strengthening uh, their people, their tribes uh, around the world and and learning how they can better sustain themselves. Again, a lot of it from what we know from our ancestors and our culture and bringing it in today. And um, yeah, in the Kamehameha schools, part of what you're doing is is teaching that piece of it, right? Uh, not relying um, totally on this public school curriculum from the government, but actually honoring, you know, these aspects. And what you're saying is in order to, you know, the, it's such a, such an informative time, obviously, right, when kids are in school. And, and to have them to change their trajectory of their lives so that the, so that they move into a productive, you know, um, rather than an unproductive way of life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even my nephew, uh, my sister on Molokai, her son is, uh, has a master's degree and is using his, what he's learned and his knowledge to, uh, help the advancement of, uh, Hawaiians and the future of, the kids in Hawaii um, by engaging in a lot of the Hawaiian activities and, and he and his wife are, are doing things um, that are um, historically significant to, um, to our culture and to our people. And um, 
you know, there's a lot going on in Hawaii that isn't healthy. And a lot of it is because of the um, commercialism and materialism and, and getting swept up into things that really don't matter. And I love how uh, my nephew and my sisters who are teachers are helping promote um, a smarter society, a smarter culture, and, and keeping us from ending up getting caught up in trivial, you know, things that make society not uh, beneficial to humanity, I think. Can you, can you give some examples of what your nephew's doing? Um, well, he, he and his brother are teachers, and um, they are, you know, basically keeping things simple. I think one of them was restoring a heiau. Um, there are just things that we, uh, that we gain our strength from and, and identify ourselves better through, uh, the things in our past and in, in our history that make us, uh, a proud culture that make us a proud people. And I think it begins with our connection to our past and our ancestors that, um, gives us the strength to be proud of who we are and proud of how we were able to take care of each other better. Um, and I think that movement is kind of building. I see it happening here with it, um, uh, the American Indian movements. Um, and we are gaining our own, we're empowering ourselves. I think that's, that's the key part is mm. what my nephew is doing is, is finding things um, uh, in Hawaii that he can engage in that empower um, Hawaiians, that empower um, people who are uh, kind of being pushed to the side or forgotten about, or it's in some cases even ignored. I think it was you that mentioned that, that indigenous people are make up 5% of the population on the planet, yet somehow... Um, 80% of them. Um, the 80% 80 of the land in the world is actually steward, stewarded, taken care of by about 5% of the, uh, by the indigenous people, which only makes up 5% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, there's yeah. a lot to be said about that. Oh, it's really powerful statistic, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think when you said that, it just resonated with me and made me feel like what my nephew was doing and others that I know uh, around Hawaii and around the planet, um, I think that that really resonated with me in that we need to respect and give more time to what we are learning from our indigenous peoples. Absolutely. And, and, and regarding that number, um, you know, that the, the land that the schools, the Kamehameha schools are um, taking care of is, you know, that number alone is an example of that, right? Which is really great, uh, but it kind of explains how that number is so high, 80% of the land. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to get too controversial, but I know that there are reasons why... Um, uh, business and, and commercialism kind of come in to possibly help sustain indigenous peoples, kind of like how Indians have embraced casinos today, um, it, because it helps fund a lot of what they want to do. They want to have homes. They want to have schools. They want to um, build their own communities and their land and, and what they're able to do with it if they choose to do casinos is just their way of sustaining themselves today. In Hawaii, um, kind of like what happened with the land that my father helped uh, replant all those koa trees, um, it was handed to someone now that they use that park. Um, I think it's kind of a tourist place now where there's a bird sanctuary there and people come to pay and visit these places. Um, it could have ended up with kids and being a natural laboratory and classroom for students. Um, but sometimes there's a need possibly to uh, make it more commercialized, um, which makes, I think, some people like me a little sad that we can't keep it in its natural state. But 
There might be a reason because of uh, the population growth and because of how things are changing that at least um, we have a chance to not only share uh, the beauty of, of Hawaii, but also help teach them to respect nature and our, our aina. Um, hopefully that's what's going on because my father started something beautiful and it would be tough to see them use it in a way that wasn't respectful. And it's a balance, isn't it? It's it's really a balance. We all have to survive with um, the economy. We have to, you know, make a living, and and it's really a balance of respecting the place, um, the sense of place, the history, the culture, but also finding a way to survive, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things um, that I keep coming back to and thinking about is with this new movement that I'm seeing at Standing Rock. And today is happening in Hawaii on um, the highest point in Hawaii, which is on the big island, Mauna Kea. Uh, there's a movement up there to protect the sacred land at the top, the highest point in Hawaii, Mauna Kea. Um, and there are groups who think, you know, there's nothing going on up there. It's scarce. It's There's nothing up there. But they don't realize um, what it means to the Hawaiian people. It's a very sacred place. And what people are doing is, you know, they're bringing the observatories up there and they have this, they have this movement to, to keep this new telescope from going up there. And um, I'm not against telescopes. I'm not against being able to see the stars and study systems. Hawaiians for ages depended on the stars. I think we were among the first astronomers because that's how we found the islands was by the stars and we navigated our way through the Pacific, this big ocean with the stars. It's just what these people are doing when they build this in. There's a number of observatories up there and uh, a bunch of them aren't used anymore. They're like carcasses up there and they're wow. not doing anything to uh, to show the Hawaiian people that they are they are aware and cognizant of uh, and respectful of their land. And so Hawaiians are now stepping up. Same as what the Sioux were doing in Standing Rock. They are standing up to saying, you know, that pipe's too close to our water and to our land. And we don't think it's right. And um, they stood up. And I think um, Hawaiians have been doing this for a long time, but it was that movement that really brought this more into the public eye and got bigger support. And so the We Are Mauna Kea movement really um, pushed things forward in um, exposing the real fight to protect Hawaii and, and to keep what is sacred to our ancestors and our culture and our people um, from getting run over by people who just see it as a uh, cute place. You know, um, it, it, it can be romanticized in ways that take us away from the real beauty. Yeah. So so where they want to put that um, 30 meter telescope, which I think is University of Hawaii, is really sacred land. And yeah. there's already, as you said, defunct telescopes there that you know, have not, maybe there's a compromise, right? That you could find, like, take, get rid of all the old ones and maybe then they can put up a new one and let people use it, as you said, to now see the stars even better um, and the universe. I don't know, maybe there's a compromise that could be reached. Yeah. Well, I know that there's a lot of Hawaiians that would rather not have anything up there. You of know, course. they really want to get it back to, uh, to making it a place of worship for yeah. Hawaiians, you know, because yeah. it's very sacred up there. Uh, granted, there's a lot of very sacred places and the islands are getting overpopulated and the planet's getting overpopulated. Uh, it's going to be tough to go back to a lot of what we had, but I love and appreciate those that are making uh, great strides in obtaining a lot of the sensibility uh, like my sister is with living off the land and, and being able to embrace her little space. Uh, I'm kind of careful, a little careful to not mention too much about them because they appreciate and I respect their private lives. Um, sure. Yeah. At the same time, I can't help but feel the need to share um, how uh, 
special it is and how important it is for people to be able to do that. And I am uh, at the ready to stand with Hawaiians that are wanting to protect their sacred places and their sacred way of life and their sacred waters. That's great. That's really great. And you're proud of her and you're just saying people are doing it and you can do it too, right? Yeah. Providing that inspiration to people. Talking about where that telescope would go uh, reminds me of the sacred land in Australia out in the outback, the Ayers Rock, um, and the Aboriginal name for it is Uluru. You know, they have similar controversies there just ongoing about people not respecting that it, it's sacred land and it's a sacred space. Um, of yeah. course. And I think, and that's one of those things that's relatable to, I'm sure every native culture in the world, you know, there, there are those who have not respected that. And, um, and I do think it's shifting as well. I, I think it's important to note that it is shifting as you've said. Um, so Uh, There's one more thing that we had discussed about the history in the past that um, maybe would also add some more information, some more detail. And that is that um, many years ago, Hawaii, you feel like Hawaii sort of lost its way, right? Um, That was really before World War II, um, but it's when after Captain Cook came in and the industrialization was taking over. um, And and that's, I think, when these... um, non-indigenous plants were introduced like pineapple and sugarcane yeah uh i think we just have a few minutes if you want to add anything else about that before we shift into the art yeah uh, it's known that there were up to a million in population of hawaiians and about the time king kamehameha III came in it was obvious that disease and alcoholism and and other things um made that count go down to almost, I think, 200,000. I mean, it, a lot were lost. Wow. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, businessmen came in. They, they said, hey, this is a great place to grow sugar and, and open up our industry here. And I know when I was growing up in the 60s in Waianae and Makaha, I don't remember a Hawaii that reminded me of any of anything that connected us to the way Hawaii was. It was just already commercialized. And I grew up in a completely different Hawaii. And to see it today makes me feel better about um, where we're headed and and where we're moving away from. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm so glad I I asked that question. So, Tommy, you're an artist. You primarily work as an artist, and I know you've done some things with some schools. Please tell us a little bit about that, and and we'll still, we will have questions. We'll have a little time for questions. If anyone who's watching wants to type in questions in the comments, please do so, and we'd love to to take questions toward the end here in a few minutes. Awesome. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, came to Denver. uh, in my high school years, I just picked up a uh, book about murals and was fascinated. I've kind of been an artist throughout my life. I remember my mother teaching art when I was young and her my interest being there and asking how I can become an artist. She said, just draw something every day, a little thing. It can be copying something, tracing something, or just drawing something. But every day, draw something. And a little bit of that um, led to... Uh, by the time I got to high school, a real strong interest in it. And when I picked up this book of murals, I was like, I want to do that. And um, fast forward, went through high school with some great high school teachers, got some more education at Colorado Institute of Art and strengthened my skills in a way that helped create more um, confidence in me as an artist and wanting to become a muralist. So a couple of projects Uh, I found a little bit more, uh, I embraced it a little bit more. And then I came to this. This image here is an example of what I started uh, with a couple friends called student, I I ended up calling them student mural projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, It started in Denver uh, with uh, with Place Middle School and a chance to engage art with kids 
uh, in schools that were kind of losing their art programs. The funding was mm. was depleted and, and a lot of their art programs were being shut down. So I came in and created a project called Student Mural Workshop. Uh, did one there, Mark Twain Elementary in uh, Littleton, south of Denver here. And then um, this one was the last one I actually did in a school. And this is at King Kamehameha Third Elementary in Lahaina. And um, in schools in Hawaii today, the fourth graders, um, it's all about Hawaiian studies. So we had the fourth graders, the entire fourth grade class of Kamehameha Third Elementary, um, in, uh, uh, work on this mural with me. And it basically, it was done in their lunchroom on tables and each one painted a little canvas. And I took each one of their canvases and created a kind of mosaic. And then I, I put in pieces that would bring all of their pieces to be part of one big mural. Yeah, I can see that, right? There's individual pieces of art within it, right? Is that yes. done by and the students? Yes, each one of those represents a student, a future child of a, a, a child of the future, um, and their expression of Hawaii, um, and where this king Kamehameha the third, the namesake of the school, um, where he lived in Lahaina. So it can be anything of the waters off Lahaina, the mountains of, behind Lahaina. Anything to do with Hawaii and where King Kamehameha III grew up. He is uh, known as being the youngest king. That's a picture of him on the left. That's a picture wow. of him when he was 13. He became king of Hawaii. Wow. He, he was too young to rule. So it was his auntie who came up with a lot of the, uh, the rules and, and helped lead him helped him lead as a king and um, did a lot more around him. He and his sister, uh, a princess there, um, were a big part of that Hawaiian that Hawaiian history on Maui. So King Kamehameha III was 13 when he started. Um, and so then see the other picture, the other half of the mural. Yeah. So the mural is in the lunchroom and it goes from one end to the other over the window where the lunch is served. And it starts with him as a 13 year old child and becoming king. Um, to him, I, I put a little part in here where he's studying, where he's in kind of in school and, and learning um, to hit a, an image of him at the end as King Kamehameha third toward the end of his reign. Um, and he was a big part of the Hawaiian state flag um, and one of the things he's known uh, for coming up with in something that he said in in one of his speaking uh, at a church in Honolulu was he came up with this um, with this saying Ua Mau Keea Okaaina Ikapono that became the Hawaiian state motto, and it means the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. Oh wow! And and it stuck, and, and it was something that I embrace constantly because it really is about how we are connected to our past and how it's important to sustain ourselves with um, the land and, and, and learn from the land and keep the land in a priority in our lives. Tommy, can you say that again? The rights of the land. Um, the, life, the life of the land. Okay. The life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. Uh, yeah, the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness, wow. being that, you know, we, we pretty much have to take care of our planet. Right. And if we take care of our planet, our planet takes care of us. Absolutely. Great. <laughs> Great. Um, let's share uh, another photo of your art. Um. Yeah, so I did. I, I was I was really fortunate to engage with artists. Um, this is at the King Kamehameha School during the unveiling, the presentation of the mural, where I could explain the process and what it's about. And I have my arm around the art teacher who was instrumental in bringing the students together and helping me uh, with the kids doing each of their paintings to. Uh, 
on the left of her is, is the principal of the school. Uh, to the left of him is Pat, um, who is a, an influence of mine um, on Maui and um, has a great history on Maui. And she is she was kind of a mentor in a lot of ways. She really celebrated uh, creativity and imagination and supporting our youth. Uh, and to her left, the far left in that picture is my cousin, Miley. Um, she is uh, a huge part of my life. Her daughter was at, uh, attended that school. Just She just left that school, um, continued from that school, I think, just before that. Um, and then on the, on the right side of me are supporters, um, pretty much. On the far right was, uh, he's representing Ace Hardware, who... Um, who uh, helped us with supplies and um, uh, helped us get um, the materials to do this, uh, as well as Tim behind him uh, from Benjamin Franklin there, which, which interestingly enough, was the biggest supplier of art supplies on the island. There's no real art stores. I found out that most of the people, it, there's a huge art community between Lahaina and Makawao, but most of those artists get their supplies online and shipped to them. Oh, okay. yeah. So it made it hard for art stores to open up when that was going on. But Benjamin Franklin had paint, had brushes, had palettes, had easels. Um, so I, I, I approached them and they were glad to uh, come in and, and help support and provide material for that project. Yeah, that's that's really great. One more one more photo here, I think, of your art. Yeah. So this is a mural I got to do in Wailuku, uh, Old Town Wailuku, right across from the Eau Theater, famous theater, going back to even having Frank Sinatra on their stage. Across the street is this empty lot that was opened up during uh, First Fridays, where we celebrated art, music, dance, um, culture, um, all kinds of things, and people came out. Part of this uh, lot was a beer garden, and we, uh, this friend of mine, Lana Kila, was asked to do a mural on that wall. I came by and saw her, told her I was an artist, helped her do a couple of things. She goes, oh, my gosh, you can help me do this. And she gave me this little section and, and, and allowed me to honor my uh, favorite artist on the planet, which was Herb Kane. He not only was the first Hawaiian muralist I came to know, my father ended up knowing him. Uh, I met him through my father, and he was also the one who brought back the double hull canoe, which is important to our culture. And today, Hokulea.com is going around the planet to share their knowledge of sustainability and learn from around the planet how to better our culture by what they're learning. And it's all about this canoe, the Hokulea. Can you spell that for us, the Hokulea.com? Yeah. H-O-K-U-L-E-A. Hokulea.com uh, is all about this double hull canoe and what Herb Connie brought back by, by creating the plans and everything and brought it from Tahiti to Hawaii to prove that it can still work today. Wow, and wow. Yeah, it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing thing to watch and catch live as these people go around the planet um, with this canoe. It's crazy. That's great. We'll put the link below as well. Um, yeah. we, we do have a question about um, uh, one of the things we talked about, of course, the importance of the next generation. Here it is. Um, and maybe you can just comment on this. The children are our future. We need to help nourish their souls with the history of their ancestors to make them even stronger members of society. I'm sure you would agree with yes. that. Yeah, and I'm a big believer in, in delivering that knowledge with aloha, which is just simple love, letting them know that they matter. Um, my father in a recent Zoom um, expressed how his grandmother um, took care of kids by simply hugging them. There's so much that comes through our need to show our respect and care through our love 
for our, our, our kids and our generation and the faith we have in them and helping guide them to uh, learning the right things to, and giving them the tools to better understand the planet they share with everyone else. Yeah, what does Aloha really mean? So it, it means a lot of things, but really um, it's it, it means love. To me, it's just love. When you say Aloha, you are greeting someone with love and, and care and kindness. That's really beautiful. So that inherently opens your heart every time you say it. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely does. I use it. Uh, there's a lot of people that overuse it or maybe, you know, use it as a, I don't know, it gets kind of, it gets kind of um, washed out a little bit, but I have always known Aloha to mean what I know it to be. And it's, it's simple love for uh, each other and especially our, our families our friends, people we believe um, are good in our community. We have, we share and have a lot of aloha. Yes, that's great. So um, we're, we're very near the end of our time here. What a fun, fantastic hour. I wanted to ask you, how can people find you? Where can they, can they see your art anywhere? And do you have a website? Yeah, I have a website. My daughter put it together. Um, Bless her for that because I'm, I'm not very good at that. But she put it together. It's bluenahuluart.com. Um, I think there's even one that she put together, bluenahulu.com. And I put a simple thing together on Instagram, at bluenahuluart, um, all together. And, and blue without the E. It's just B-L-U. Oh, great. Okay. And yeah. why, what's the name? What's the name mean? Blue Nahulu. What's it mean? So blue is just a color that makes me happy and that I love and that I use. And it's the color of the sky and the ocean that I grew up with. Um, it's a happy color to me. And it just went well with Nahulu, blue Nahulu. So that's, that's kind amazing. of the significance yeah. of that. Is there um, a way to contact you directly from your website? Yeah, or or, or or my email. Um, that's really the best way is is to message me through Facebook, Tommy Nahulu, Tommy Kawi Nahulu, right. um, com. There's a way to email me there. My daughter actually helped get one of the best jobs I ever got through a message she received through that website. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I'm, I'm just so grateful, Tommy, that you were here. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Here's yeah. A thank Here's a thank I, you note. I appreciate this opportunity to, to definitely share. Um, I'm not the smartest guy on the planet, but I sure love engaging with people in a positive way because I think more of that needs to happen. However we feel that that has to happen, I think we need to exercise patience and our ability to share the positive things. Um, because we got a long way to go, hopefully, and we have to we have to leave a healthy planet and and make it a safe place for our kids. Yeah, positive, really positive, amazing final words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Tommy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next time, everyone, you can mark your calendars for December seventh. We'll have a lunch and learn on December seventh with Jessica Sue, um, and that is actually Colorado Gives Day, so it would be a great time to um, to join us for that. Uh, thank you again, Tommy, so much. We really appreciate you and your support of Her Many Voices. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Her Many Voices.